This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hello. Good to see you all. Where's Dan? Dan, where are you? Dan, would you please turn the lights on that sweater? People didn't get to see that. And then turn around. And I thought I was in full old guy dad mode. Um, That's just awesome. Awesome. So I know today's going to be a great day. Uh, I had a weird dream about new life last night. Don, don't, John, or excuse me. Gosh, don't freak out, any of you, about what that might be. But just got to tell you a little bit. I was coming here to speak, and for whatever reason, you guys, for the day, had decided that you're going to take your shoes off. And I don't know why, and please, please don't do that. Um, but later, after the, like, the shoes off portion, um, it was time to put my shoes back on, and I couldn't find my shoes. And one of the teenagers in the building said, I've got some shoes for you. And they took someone else's shoes that they thought would look like mine, or would fit mine, and, and they gave them to me. And so I'm coming into church, getting ready to speak with somebody else's shoes on. And I told my wife this story this morning, and I said, I just felt bad that I had stolen somebody's shoes and was going to get up and speak to them, and probably the people whose shoes I had taken. And so I'm freaking out, like literally freaking out, and and I I noticed up on the wall, there was a little pocket of something, I don't know what it is, and I kind of climbed up the side of the wall, and there were my shoes, I don't know who put them there. I'm thinking Pastor Ron maybe did that. (laughs) So I just said, man, if I'm dreaming about new life, I think we're going to have a good morning. And we're going to have a good morning. Darby, what you're talking about with the craziness and the festiveness and all that and how it crowds itself in, I looked at my wife this morning and I said, I feel pretty good this year. And she goes, I don't feel overwhelmed at all. And maybe we're finally doing something right. And then I thought, well, yeah, this is my second year out of church ministry and doing Christmas, and it doesn't feel as overwhelming. So you guys probably know what I'm talking about. It is a beautiful time. And as I began to prepare for today, sometime last week when I began, I needed to take a minute and put the setting and the context in the forefront of my mind, you know, kind of the basics of Christmas. Joseph, and who's a carpenter, and his teenage pregnant fiance are heading toward Bethlehem. And they're there to, reg- uh, to register for a census because Caesar Augustus wants to find out what kind of taxes can be levied on the people that he's serving. Bethlehem is the setting, and Bethlehem is not necessarily a great place in and of itself. In fact, it's really the type of place that you would stay stop at on the way somewhere else, like Katadi or Rohnert Park, something like that. No one goes to those places on purpose. (laughs) It was the usual starting place as you began a journey toward Egypt. It's surrounded by rock and fields, and there are shepherds taking care of their flocks by night and by day, some 3,000 feet above sea level. We need to remember that the Romans rule it all and they're meticulous about things like cleanliness and they love to build roads and aqueducts and they also love to hang criminals on the side of those roads to show everyone just what happens if you don't stick with the plan. 
And there seems to be some unusual astrological things happening as well. A star. Some believed it was a comet appeared the year of Jesus' birth, attributed as perhaps 4 or 5 BC, but for us, 1 AD. And meanwhile, in the setting, everything's going on as normal. The merchants are selling. The people are getting married. Work is done. Food is bought. People are traveling, going from here to there. Everything is normal besides having to register for this census. And and I thought to myself, even this morning, it was so normal. It was so normal that like pretty much everybody missed it. God is interrupting life. And really the only people who were engaged in the middle of that was this teenage girl, a carpenter, some sheep watchers and some astrologers. Isn't that like our life sometimes? Where we don't give time, we don't give breath, we don't give the window to just breathe and to let things be, especially during Advent season. But here's the thing. There was so much more going on behind the scenes. The hardest thing sometimes when we're looking at the scriptures, and I'm going to get to the Bible verses in just a minute, but the hardest thing sometimes when we're looking at the scriptures is to remove it from the idea of an account or a story and sort of to bring that into a sense of real life and what was really happening. We need to kind of not think anymore of of the great heroes of the Bible as superheroes or just characters, but bring yourself to the point where you're really engaging in the context of it. And the only real way we can do that is sort of just to suppose it onto our life and our time. But here's the thing. So much was going on. Intrigue and, and in terms of, you know, the leadership, falsehood, even fraudulent devotion. And all of this was just the nature of the culture and time and the driving forces behind modernity in and around the time the birth of Jesus. And most of us really have no idea what the ancient world was like. I mean, people were people, and pretty much all the things that people do and think today were around back then. But especially in the Greek and Roman worlds, the Roman world being the one that Jesus was born into, the view of deity or of God was quite different than today, with a few exceptions. Polytheism was the mainstay, except for the Jews, who, believe it or not, at the time were the only monotheistic religion of the time. I went to look that up. I had read that in the notes, and I went and said, is that true? And absolutely, that was the case. The view of gods was that they were these selfish rulers subject to fits of rage, and they fought for control of certain parts of the world and humanity, and even participated in some of the grossest of human actions. I also think that it was fair to say that even to the beloved people of God, that many saw Jehovah God or the God that they were worshiping as a celestial ruler with kind of strict laws. And if people didn't follow them closely enough, he would punish them until they got it. When you read through the Old Testament in its entirety, there's a lot of what you would deem as rules and regulations and all these things. But the really the heart of it, if you step back, is God's constant longing to connect to his people. In fact, it could almost be coined as a broken-hearted lover longing for his people. How else could we explain later when the account is said that it's Jesus was like a hen trying to draw his people to himself and put them under the cover of his wings? But all through the Old Testament, you have these these pictures of, of God wanting to just say, 
I just want your heart. I just want everything that is yours. And I have so much to offer. And the people kind of boiling it down to, I have to do this and this and this and this. And unfortunately, that's what happened to religion for us today too. Even faithful Christian religion, sometimes we only see it through the guise of, we need to do this and we can't do that. We can't vote this way and we can vote that way. And we miss this huge, incredible picture of what God is trying to do. I guess I wonder, for practical purpose, did many really see God as the father or the one who loved his children incredibly, one who was loving by nature, was not filled with selfishness like the other gods, as gracious and forgiving. And I think, truth be told, a lot of us wonder about that too. So the ancient world was not so different than this one. If we look at culture and politics and our value systems today, you might understand why even devout Jewish believers of the time may have wondered about God and who he really was kind of like we do today. Let's go to this first slide. But the reality is, is that God is and has been reaching out to humanity from day one. And so from the moment mankind chose selfishness, and I call it fool's gold, looking for something that was going to satisfy that really wasn't, God's secret plan was spun into action. I picture this going all the way back to the book of Genesis, and, and the fall happening, and I just know God was like, okay, I'm going to fix this. And it's going to take a long time, perhaps, but we're going to get there. And humanity is going to have to see just what it really looks like and just what it will really cost them. And his plan was put into action. Sometimes I think we're not really at that good at paying attention. And I, I think we're trying most of the time, but most of the time I noticed even for me that I can have a little bit of, go ahead and go to that next slide, a little bit of spiritual attention deficit disorder. <laughs> SAD is the acronym. Darby talked about the busyness of the season. Isn't it amazing how so many of us at Christmas time, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and you're trying just not to cut somebody off. <laughs> I was driving the other day. My wife is really good about telling me to back down when something frustrates me. And we were driving, and this person in a late model Mercedes, and I guess that set me off because I was driving, um, you know, a 1995 uh, Honda Pilot. And I'm thinking, this rich. And, you know, I don't know anything about them. And they're driving on the boulevard. Have you ever had someone, like, go 10 miles an hour? Some of you, like, half of the men are like, oh, yeah, I hate that guy. But they need Jesus. They need Jesus. We have this attention deficit disorder, even at this time of year, where we want to pay attention to what God has for us. We're trying to do the best we can, but sometimes we just miss it. Is it because we don't understand? Does he not seem real? Maybe, or maybe we just live as the ultimate, that this life is the ultimate end game and we'll deal with the bigger questions when we're forced to, like when we're older or when we're sicker or when we're really messed up. Strange to think, even as the entire universe and the very earth we live on display his majesty and his handiwork, that sometimes we still have a hit and miss connection. Why? Well, from the start, 
His full attention has always been squarely aimed at men and women and a longing to know them and to be known by them. The Apostle John, perhaps the closest person to Jesus while on earth, begins his account of life lived with Jesus like none of the other three gospel writers do, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And it's a bit of a puzzling beginning, one of which we've heard and probably wondered a lot about. In fact, it's critical to the story of the arrival, his advent, his coming, and to what we refer to today as the Christmas story. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and I'll read that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing that has been, nothing, excuse me, without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want to go back to the line a little bit further up. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What you need to remember here is the absolute, incredible, overwhelming, overarching awesomeness of what that statement says. And I'm going to flesh that out a little bit more. John's referring to Jesus as the word. He was with God from the very start. And he even says that through Jesus, everything that was made and has been made was done in and through him, life and light, and that that light shines so bright that the darkness doesn't even stand a chance. But the most amazing thing of all is this, John chapter 4, excuse me, John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The creator of life and light for all mankind became just like us. Now, if you go back to this idea that everything was made by him, through him, because of him, it's all about him, everything is all about Jesus, and that he became just like one of us, the Christmas story should absolutely begin to morph in your mind as something far bigger than just a season and kind of the nice things that we feel about the holiday. And it should make you go, oh my gosh, God injected himself into all of humanity at that very moment. And, and, and of course, the picture is much bigger than that. But when we step back and look at it, we should be able to be to this point of going, wow. I fall into this, this trap every year at Christmas where I try to feel Christmas. Anybody try to feel Christmas? How many times have you thought, I just want to feel Christmassy? Right? I just want to celebrate the Christian. I, is, I don't know about you. As I've gotten older, it's not quite as easy. Because all the stuff that used to work doesn't work so much anymore. There's a solution. Have a grandchild. (laughs) My grandchild is awesome. She is my light and my life, and I can't wait. And I'm full of Christmas spirit all the time now. But she'll grow up, and I don't know what will happen when she's a teenager. Maybe she won't like me anymore. But as it is for now, when she wakes up in the morning, and I'm not kidding, and I'm not bragging, I'm bragging just a little bit. She goes... Papa, Papa, Papa. She chants for me. And I'm like, Christmas, thank you, Jesus. You know, we feel all these things. Remember what I said that God reached out to all humanity from the very beginning of time? Nothing would compare to what he had in mind for this ultimate connection. And the writer of Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. 
long ago at many times and in many ways, isn't that the truth? God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. There is a change that happens from old to new. No longer are we following all of those kind of rules in order to earn what we could never earn on ourselves. Suddenly, all the words of God, everything that hung on the prophets, which used to come through a certain ways and said in many, many different ways, suddenly we're being spoken to directly by who the Son is. He's the Word. Now I want to get a little teachy. So word, it's a Greek word, this, this word logos. And it is one imbued with meaning for both the Jews and the Greeks of the day. And to Greek philosophers, the logos was the impersonal abstract principle of reason and order in the universe. You can still get that today if you look at Stoicism or if you look at, you know, Socrates and all these different things. It's that kind of idea. It was in some sense a creative source and the source of wisdom, but really it was airy and kind of ethereal. And the average Greek may not have fully understood all the nuances of the meaning with which the philosophers gave to the term logos, and almost certainly the Romans did not. But to even common men and women, the term would have signified one of the most important principles in the universe. It's what gave realness to all life and nature. And so brilliantly, John presents Jesus as the personification and the embodiment of logos, of the word. Unlike the Greek concept, however, Jesus was not this impersonal force or principle or emanation. In him, the true word was God became a man, a concept foreign to Greek thought, wasn't even put together. And here's what John is saying. Go ahead and go to that next slide. Jesus is the principal reason and order to the universe and the world. He was all of it. He was and he is to this very moment. This is what he's saying. So when the book of John opens up and he's saying, in the beginning was the word, That idea should just be absolutely massive in your head. And that's what I want you to get today. In the beginning, everything that holds life together, everything that is life, everything that was ever made, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And he's speaking of Jesus. He's the word and the word became flesh. This was an astounding idea at the time. And actually, John begins his account of Jesus' earthly life by stating that it is the absolute representation of, of all that holds the universe together. And that's a pretty big idea, isn't it? He's the embodiment of truth and light. Truth, life, and light were preeminent to the Greeks and to the Romans. But here's the kicker once again. Next slide, John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And I wrote this statement and I wanted to somehow be able to get this through. Jesus was not some impersonal, ethereal force, but rather he's all that is true, and he emptied himself of all that was his in order to become all that we are. We've got a bunch of nativities around the house. My granddaughter has this padded one because 15-month-olds are prone to throw, you know, 
merry at other things and other people. And it's made out of foam. And we've got a little thing where Jesus is going to be laid. And Jesus is not out yet because, right, Jesus hasn't been born. And it's this little foam, not foam, what's it made of? Cloth. And there's like fake hay in it. And she likes to pick the hay up and walk around with it and kind of do these things. But, you know, um, she often will just pick up a different piece and she'll walk up it and she'll go, she'll go, baby, like baby Jesus or John. We've got all these nativities around the house and different kinds and a beautiful one that sits, you know, underneath our TV, which says something of itself. I'm not going to even comment (laughs) about that. And and I look at the vestiges of it because it's all it's next to my Christmas tree. So isn't there this weird mingling of kind of traditional Christmas stuff and sort of the religious significance of it? And, And what I want you to get out of this is, you know, Jesus is incredible and all the extra stuff that we get to do with Christmas. It's really just kind of gravy. It's bonus material in terms of what we're actually focused on, what's most important. But there's this bigger sense of What's really happening here, what we're really remembering with these nativities doesn't usher in just a sweet time. It ushers in the coming of the king who would change the world. And we sit here sometimes and we think, Bill, it was a long time ago. You want to know why? Because we've relegated it to this idea of story. Instead of this very Jesus wants to engage with, connect with every single one of us. We've got all kinds of weird trappings that kind of block that a little bit, but if you hear anything from me, hear this. The very Jesus, the word, the creator, the the presence, the ultimate light, truth, life, all of that, that God emptied everything that was his in order to become all that we are. And it was the only way he could identify with humanity. And he did so on purpose. That's what's amazing about the thing. The word was also a significant Old Testament theme, well known to Jewish people. The word of the Lord was the expression of divine power in wisdom. In the Old Testament, the word carries the idea of active power. God spoke the universe into into being, didn't he? In the beginning, God spoke. And we have each day listed. And then God said... And then something was created. The Apostle John presents Jesus as the eternal word who took on flesh and blood so that we could actually see God. And he is not what some religious person or irreligious person describes him to be. He is so much more. And all of this, I think, is something that we should give some awestruck consideration to. When we sang um, the second song this morning... Uh, Come thou long expected Jesus. There's got there's gotta be gotta be some oomph here. This Advent season, and by the way, I made my first Advent wreath. Anybody ever made it an Advent wreath? Well, if you need some help, let me know. (laughs) And we're lighting the candles, but this expectation that Darby talked about, this anticipation. What we should be feeling in the lead up to Christmas Eve and to Christmas Day is this incredible, incredible, overwhelming sense of God emptied himself of everything just for me, for us, for 
for all humanity, including the people that you don't like or don't agree with. What we're seeing here is nothing short of the incredible purposefulness of God toward all people. John paints Jesus as this incredible word, next slide, that holds all things together in the palm of his hand, the one who is all life and light and truth, the one who gives oomph and chutzpah to all humanity, the one who is the embodiment of all that is set in motion in the universe. Stop! And Jesus came for each one of us. Like, folks, seriously, this is the serious pastor leaning on the table pose. Don't let that slip and don't let how you look at this become anything more or excuse me, anything less than wow. You know, when angels showed up in the Bible and people just flipped, they were just like, oh, you know, freaked out. And they always said, what? Don't be afraid. Right. So this is what I'm talking about. This should be the whole what? It should it should render us a little a little breathless. Maybe I'm able to speak a little bit. And for some of us, that's a huge deal. And I don't know about you, but I'm always ready to talk. But sometimes we should just breathe and go, wow. Wow. He's the word, the final word, the true word, the word of life, the word of light, the hope of humankind, the redeemer of all who would simply come. And this incredibly loving father whispers in our ear, and perhaps especially at Christmas, I love you so much that I will become like you to carry the weights you could never carry and to restore you to the relationship I've always desired. And that is a loving father to a child. He loves and he is delighted in us. Some of us think we've messed up so bad he can't possibly be delighted in us. He's delighted in us. We need to know the heart of God toward the people of the world. I think Luke, in quoting a multitude of angels, describes it best. Last slide. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men with whom he is well pleased. Not a crazy thought. We think he's ticked off all the time. And even if you don't say that out loud, you felt that. Yeah, I know you felt that. I've certainly felt that. He is pleased with us. And because of this, Jesus changed everything by becoming like us, turning the ways of this planet and all that it holds upside down to reach us. And more than ever, I'm humbled by that fact. Man, I'm done with this part of my little sharing, but I just, I, if I could just convey it in a way, maybe I have conveyed it that way. I just want to make you feel even a little bit deeper. If you could just find some time today in the next couple minutes of, of just being, letting that settle in your heart. Now, don't get me wrong. With the birth always comes the death. They're connected. You know, Christ, Christmas and Easter are connected. So it did cost the Father. It cost our Lord everything to pull us back into relationship. But as we celebrate the advent at the arrival, it's the first step 
we just need to kind of be blown away. In an age where no one's blown away by anything anymore. Been there, done that. Food's too expensive to eat out. No movies are ever good anymore. Well, I'm 55, so I'm feeling that a little bit. <laughs> you ever go to a restaurant and you're like, gosh, I could make this for like $7. <laughs> this is the best Italian restaurant in town. And everyone's like, stop talking, old man. Like, just enjoy your moment. <laughs> Let us be humble. So could we just do this? Um, gosh, we're great on time. And, and I, let's just close our eyes. It's okay to do that in church promise. It's okay to take just a minute to let sink in what I share with you today. The God of the universe emptied himself to become like us. Let's just breathe for a minute in that thought and give him thanks for it. Thank you. Thank you, God. We love you. So grateful. Lord, the Christmas spirit is not found in all the externals. It's found in one thing, and that is the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as we settle into that, just two weeks before Christmas Day, help us to anticipate just what we're celebrating. May we breathe and find life and hope and truth in you. I pray for each one today that when they leave the room today that they would go home and pull out that manger or look at that tree or whatever it takes and just let their hearts be overwhelmed with the goodness of our loving heavenly Father. Amen. So there's not a great way to do a segue like this. But I asked Ron a couple weeks ago if I could share just for a few minutes the end of my talk time. And by the way, I didn't shortchange you on the, on the talk at all. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> and I just wanted to share a little bit about what I do when I'm not hanging out with you, um, which I like very much. And he said, of course. So I think many of you know that when I left full-time church leadership 18 months ago, I was the pastor of Adobe Christian Church um, for 18 years. I began to work with Caminal Felix, and my title is International Director, the U.S. contact point, really, and it truly means nothing other than I get to spend all of my time doing whatever I can to contribute to this incredible organization that captured my heart over a decade ago, and I always had an inkling that I would be with them full-time at some point. Caminal Felix means happy home or happy family in Romanian. And in short, very short, we've built two family villages in Romania, and we've built one in Thailand. We were founded 30 years ago this year in response to the tens of thousands and perhaps even hundreds of thousands of street kids, sewer kids, and abandoned children who were discovered at the fall of communism in Romania. Hundreds of kids have been raised in our villages there, which are built on the idea that every child deserves a family. Christian moms and dads in our village commit to raising an entire generation. Could you imagine? 
I'm going to raise an entire generation. And they raise them in autonomous, free families. And let me tell you, it's something to see. And as someone who has visited regular orphanages and institutions in Romania, they are snake pits. And it is horrifying, even today. 15 years ago, just after the tsunami that killed hundreds of thousands in Southeast Asia, we built our Thai village in response. And our focus there has been on kids who've been abandoned, who have parents who've died of HIV, AIDS. And then today, as Eastern Europe is experiencing yet more death and suffering due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've decided to take our next step and figure out how we can help by responding to the needs of the moms and their children first, and eventually to build another family village there. And these kids have come from horrible things. One, two kids, a a brother and a sister in one of our Romanian villages, watched their father murder their mother. And they ended up with us, where they were being raised in an incredible fashion. And I saw firsthand what happened with uh, refugees coming out of Ukraine. Our villages in Romania received over 1,500 Ukrainian refugees this past year, some for a day or two or five or weeks. People coming in in the heart of winter, if you remember, began back in February with frostbitten fingers and carrying all their belongings in grocery bags. And we've identified now two locations in Ukraine, and we're working toward building First, a place to help the moms and their children who I saw. Sometimes they'd come into our villages. There'd be one mom, six or seven kids, just out of the cold. We've identified two locations, and we're working toward that end now. There's a good possibility I'll be in Ukraine in February looking at those locations. So that's the briefest of information, but what Ron has allowed me to do is that there is a table set up in the foyer And my wife and I will be back there to answer questions or share any information. Um, And then kind of a couple things you might want to do is you can come by the table and say hi. And just say, gosh, Bill, great talk today. (laughs) I mean, don't lie. If it didn't think it was good, don't say anything. Just smile. Um, Sign up for my email newsletter. Look, I don't sell stuff. I don't sell stuff right? I don't sell stuff from my newsletter. I don't do anything like that. So sign up for my newsletter. Um, This summer, we're taking a trip to our Romanian villages and one to our Thai village, one in June, one in August. And those are trips you can join on. I don't make a penny from those. I do everything I can to make them as cheap as possible for you to experience what we do. And those trips are coming up. You can learn more about that. And then lastly, um, we part of our Romanian village is that we've got this thing called Sunflower Industries and a carpentry shop where kids who grew up in the village learn to do textiles and all these different things. And it's used as an opportunity to raise funds for the village without having to go to people for those things. And it's been incredible. It helps underwrite the cost of everything we do. Anyway, we've got a bunch of things from there. And if you're interested in buying something for you, like a Christmas present purpose, here I am, I just said I don't sell things. Today we're selling things. I don't take any of it. I take this and we send it right back to Romania. So my wife will be there and I'll be there and and that's all I want to say. So um, it's an awesome thing and you're invited to learn more. And gosh, Ron, Monica, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share about this. And God bless all of you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at 
newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.